Hello everyone. Before we jump into today's show, I have two quick announcements. First, this is our 20th show. We can't thank you, our listeners, enough for your support. Our team never could have imagined that this show would resonate with so many people. So please keep all the great feedback coming and thanks to all of you for sharing our show with your network. Additionally, a heartfelt thanks to all of our guests thus far and I'm happy to announce that we already have some amazing guests lined up for the next few weeks. The second update is this. This 20th episode is with Mike McKim, who is the CEO of a coffee company on the cutting edge of caffeinated innovation. Mike joined us from his roastery and the sound quality was impacted slightly. The insight that Mike shared about growing a team, dealing with competition, and his personal approach to leadership was simply too good to not release this show. So thank you for your understanding of the technical issues, and thanks again for all of your support thus far during our first 20 shows. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Mike McKim, who is the founder and CEO of Cuvee Coffee. He is also a U.S. Navy veteran, and in his highly caffeinated role, he is also the pioneer of Nitro Cold Brew. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Absolutely, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Cuvee has been operating since 1998, so you have seen a lot in the world of coffee over the past 22 years. Take me back to 98. What led you to originally found Cuvee? Yeah, 98, uh, I always tell people I've completely backed into coffee, Um, and in 1998, I was fortunate enough to be selling fiber optic cable during the whole dot-com boom. Um, You know, and the good news was every phone company on the planet was buying all the fiber optic cable there was, putting it in the ground, you know, stretching it from coast to coast. So um, I I was pretty successful back in those days, you know, financially. And um, my buddy who I worked with, we worked for his dad, my buddy Patrick, we decided to go snow skiing with our wives uh, in Tahoe. And uh, both of us, you know, had always had discussions about, you know, starting our own business and what would that be if we did it. And uh, so we kind of both had the entrepreneurial bug. And uh, while we were skiing, I said, you know what? I've got an uncle who I haven't seen in a long time. He owns a company down in Reno. We should drive down there and check him out. He's you know successful and wealthy and drives a Ferrari and super cool guy. And so we did that. We, we skipped snow skiing one day, drove down to Reno uh, to visit my uncle Carl. And um, he owns a company that makes food analyzation equipment. Uh, and that project that he was working on at the time was a machine that measures the degree of roast to coffee. And so he had a roaster set up in his warehouse and he was explaining everything to us and, you know, his scientific terms and then said, have you ever seen coffee being roasted before? And we said, no. So he brought us out into the warehouse, roasted a batch of coffee and, and that was it. We, we both had the bug. Um, and we just were completely enamored with the craft of roasting coffee. I think one of the things that has fascinated me the most about obviously live in Austin, have experienced your, your product is you guys are obviously passionate. And from that story, you get the sense of the passion about the taste and experience of a cup of coffee, but you guys are also big proponents of 
being ethically sourced, putting out a sustainable product. As the leader of this organization, how do you balance those priorities? You've obviously got financial priorities, organizational priorities, logistical priorities. How do you balance those alongside of the ethical sourcing and the sustainable product? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I was fortunate because I was heavily involved in the specialty coffee industry when, um, you know, a few pioneering coffee roasters were um, blazing a trail with a program they they coined as direct trade. And um, I was involved in the SCAA Roasters Guild. And so I, I got to see the early stages of, you know, what the direct trade movement was um, and sustainability and ethically sourced coffee and all those buzzwords that you hear now. I got to actually see um, how other people were doing it, how they were blazing the trail. And, and then I got to see firsthand how it affected, you know, not only their business, but also their suppliers and their coffee farmer partners. And, and so for me, it was kind of a no brainer. I mean, I've always been a relationship guy and that is, you know, those are relationships with, you know, my vendors, suppliers, my customers, um, you know, friends, family, all that sort of stuff. Relationships are important. And, you know, just like any, any relationship that uh, is going to be sustainable long-term. I mean, there has to be, there's got to be some guide rails on that relationship. So the whole idea of, you know, having a financial and, and social and economic model that, that surrounded how we bought coffee, you know, to me, that was the only way to make sure that um, our product and our business could truly be sustainable. How has, how has your leadership evolved over the years? Obviously, you started this based, basically on this incredible passion, um, but you've grown this, and this has become, I mean, I don't know if you can talk about the, the size and scope of, of the business today, but how do you think your leadership has evolved over the years? <laughs> That's a great question. I think I went from um, not being a leader uh, to trial by fire to you know, um, constantly evolving uh, and learning and trying to understand, um, you know, what a leader really is and how to lead, you know, my team, um, effectively. And, um, it, yeah, the, the, the leadership thing, you know, it's been, like I said, it's been non-existent to, um, you know, I've scorched the earth <laughs> under some people that have worked for me before to, um, you know, go in the total opposite way where I let myself be a complete pushover. Um, and I, I like to think over the last few years, I've, I've started to find a balance there. Hmm. You guys have a, a coffee lab here in Austin, and I'm going to, I'm going to quote you here. So you, on, on your website, I think it says where you quote, use our curiosity to drive us to experiment with new ideas, which from the outside looking in, I love a cup of coffee. I love how incredible the third wave and all these awesome things that people are doing. But how did you build a culture of experimentation really early on at your organization? You know, that part, um, I would love to say that um, it was because, you know, I was such a great leader and, and blazing a trail for everybody. But the bottom line is, I just happened to be involved in the industry when um, particularly specialty coffee and the third wave movement was almost non-existent in Texas. So I got to be um, kind of the leader um, or the de facto leader in that movement. Um, so 
I think for me, even though I was learning this from, from my peers in other parts of the country, I was introducing it, you know, to other people who hadn't been exposed to it. Um, and I think that that, I mean, that's really what catapulted Cuvée, um, you know, to the, to the success that we had in, you know, the, the mid uh, 2000s for sure, as the third wave movement started happening here in Texas. What do you wish that, and one of the things that we've talked to a lot of leaders on this show about, what do you wish you had more time for? Like, obviously, productivity is something that we all struggle with, but those that lead organizations probably struggle with it even more just because your time can be spent doing so many different things. What, what do you wish you had more time for? Um, family is probably, that would be my top choice. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you're talking business-wise, it's hard because um, I, in the early days, you know, I sourced the coffee, I roasted the coffee, I bagged the coffee, I delivered the coffee, I taught my wholesale customers how to make the coffee. Hmm. You know, that was almost a one-man show for, you know, the first several years. And so that part comes easy to me uh, and always has. And so sometimes I find myself, because that's the easy path, uh, you know, and I have the most experience doing that. I find myself going and doing that even when I don't really need to, you know, possibly my team is you know, super competent, um, super efficient. Um, so sometimes I probably just get in their way when I go back there and help them. But um, I, I think the, if I could spend more time um, focusing on different ways to grow the business instead of focusing on running the business. I think that would be, um, it would be not only a benefit to me, but I think it would be a benefit to the company. What, what would you tell your prior self, that individual that was bagging the coffee, that was doing everything when you had, I'm sure some trepidation about were you doing the right thing or would it be successful? Knowing what you know now with the benefit of hindsight, what would you tell that individual? <laughs> <laughs> ditch your ego and ask for help. You know, I was, uh, I, I was obviously like a lot of people are, um, you know, considered asking for help, a sign of weakness and a sign that maybe I wasn't, you know, running at full capacity. Um, and then fortunately I had some, you know, just fantastically humbling experiences and, you know, like the old saying goes, there are those who've been humbled and those who will be. And hmm. I was I was really lucky to be humbled early on in my career because prior to that, I was a raging egomaniac. Hmm. What can you talk us through one of those um, instances that maybe didn't work out and maybe a decision that you've made recently that's been shaped by one of those early missteps? Can you talk about one of those instances where you were humbled a little bit early on and how it's impacted you? Oh yeah, I mean, like, look, the biggest one was, um, you know, as as when I was in the telecom business, I was, you know, doing coffee, and it was kind of a, a weekend job, then a night weekend job, and oh, it was just a side hustle. And uh, in two thousand and one, I'm pretty sure it was two thousand and one, the whole dot com implosion happened, right? And so I went from making a very comfortable salary to um, the telecom business, you know, almost disappearing overnight, at least the, the part that I was in. And I wasn't a big fan of that job anyway. Um, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to do this coffee thing. And uh, I'm going to just 
run through Texas and, and everybody will buy my coffee because it's so much better than what's out there now. And I, um, I spent the next, and that's where my partner and I went separate ways and I kept going with coffee. He went back into the telecom business and has done fantastically well for himself as well. But, um, I went the next eight months, you know, pounding the pavement and I was in Houston, Texas at the time and couldn't literally didn't sell a pound of coffee. And, um, my wife and I had a new son and she said, look, you know, when I put Connor to bed tonight, we need to sit down and talk. I said, okay. And so we sit down at the kitchen table that night after she puts our son to bed and she just looks me square in the eye and says, we have enough money to pay bills one more month and then we're broke. Wow. So, yeah. So we had a mortgage, we had a new baby, you know, and, um, that was, that was a fantastically humbling experience from, from thinking that I was all that in the coffee world and that everybody was going to buy my product because it was so amazing. And I was so amazing to realizing that, um, I haven't earned a dollar in the past eight months was, uh, and that, then that I had people relying on me was, was incredibly humbling. How do you, as you've grown this organization, you've had to develop, but also depend on a lot of other people and, and you couldn't do everything if you wanted to, to scale. How do you think about developing leaders and, and what you look for in somebody that can take some of those things off of your plate? Yeah, I would say that um, what I've learned over the years um, and particularly the last several years as, as we've been scaling our business is there's nobody that... Um, I shouldn't say that. There's nobody that I've met yet who could just walk through our doors and immediately, you know, become the leader of the company um, without me investing a lot of time and energy into that person and helping them understand, you know, what our company culture is and what it is we're trying to accomplish. You know, what is, what is our mission? Um, and I think that's where I, I've failed miserably in the past is, you know, I've always hired smart people. Um, I'm just attracted to them uh, in a business setting. And, and sometimes it's easy to, and I'm not a micromanager, right? Which is a kind of a good and bad thing. Hmm. And so I've always taken the philosophy of just hire the right people and get out of their way. But that doesn't mean, you know, hire the right people and then just be absent, you know, and, and talk to them every, you know, every Friday or every second Friday or something like that, or just, you know, when we pass each other at the coffee machine, you know, ask how things are going. Um, so there's a, I think what I've learned is the investment goes from being a physical investment in making product or packaging product to being, you know, more of an emotional investment in um, understanding and guiding or mentoring for lack of a better term, um, you know, somebody in the organization who is capable of stepping up into a leadership role. So I, I have two final questions and then I want to get into our rapid fire questions. But one, one of them is this, what are you the most proud of since 1998? What do you look back on and hang your hat and kind of say, I'm unbelievably proud that we accomplished this? I think there's a couple things. I mean, I think one, um, you know, without without breaking my arm by patting myself on the back, I think that we, we were very responsible for changing the landscape of coffee in Texas. Um, and 
once again, that wasn't just because, you know, it wasn't because we're better than anybody else. We just happened to, to be, to time that just right. Um, so I think I'm super proud of that. Um, I'm incredibly um, humbled and uh, it makes me very happy that I, I was able to work with a lot of coffee shop entrepreneurs uh, or just coffee entrepreneurs in general and have a positive impact on their businesses. Um, I'm really glad that, you know, at this point, because, you know, Cuve has been around 22 years and um, because I'm involved in, you know, a handful of different organizations, um, entrepreneur organizations and nonprofits that I get the opportunity to share my story with a lot of other entrepreneurs. And, you know, there's always a couple people that come up afterwards and tell me how much the, you know, the story inspired them. Um, you know, that's a, that's a really cool feeling. Um, and then I think the other thing is it, it's, it's really rewarding to see how many entrepreneurs have come from working at Cuvée. So they've been mm -hmm. here, they stayed here, they've learned, and then they've gone on to open their own businesses. I think that's, um, and even, you know, even when they're competing with us, it's still, it's still pretty cool feeling. Wow. And uh, this is more of a personal question. And I'm just a little bit curious if you couldn't have the career that you have now, what the heck would you want to be doing? <laughs> uh, well, that depends. Like, um, is this where I could be as talented as I wanted to at anything in the world? Okay, let's go there. You can be <laughs> what would you want to be doing? What would wake you make make you excited to wake up and have that first cup of coffee, but you're not in the coffee business? I'd be playing hockey in the NHL, I think. That would be a dream job for me. Well, that is a great spot to end the conversation and shift to our final two rapid fire questions. We ask everybody this. So if you could describe your leadership style and I just gave you one word, what would that word be? Um, boy, that's a tough question. I would say the word would be um, student. And the, the final rapid fire question is this. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? The best piece of advice? Oh my gosh, there's so many of them. Um, probably the best piece of advice that I ever received was somebody who told me, um, don't ever seek the approval of your peers while you're building your business. Well, that is a great piece of advice. And thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Um, for me personally, um, my social media is just at Mike McKim on everything. Um, and then Cuvee Coffee is Cuvee, at Cuvee Coffee and CuveeCoffee.com. Well, thank you for gr all the great insight. I'll give a plug. Your coffee is absolutely delicious. So if you live in Austin or you visit Austin, be sure to make that a part of your trip. And thank you to all of our great listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share this show or any of our shows with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer, and you can find our organization Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E at Ability.com. And be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.